Welcome to the Movie Planet Season 4, Episode 2. This week we're talking about 1991's Silence of the Lambs. With Joe. Oh, he's a monster. Pure psychopath. So rare to capture one alive. And Josh. It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. Joining me is the Hannibal Lecter to my Buffalo Bill, Josh. Welcome to the show, pal. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a wonderful pleasure to have you. Uh, we recorded Friday the 13th. Yes. That still hasn't come out yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and right now I'm like, where do I put this movie? Because I just didn't know where to put it in the entire, uh, in the schedule of everything. And I'm like, I really feel like the Friday the 13th movie deserves like... A true October spot. Yes. And we missed it this last October because we were, right now, we're just finishing October, and we did this month um, Masters of the Universe. You have to. <laughs> it's a beautiful, beautiful <laughs> failure. <laughs> and, um, uh, and now we're, oh, Warcraft. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So we scared people with really bad movies. <laughs> So it was a month of beautiful failures then. Oh, yeah. This week, you've nominated uh, Silence of the Lambs for the Drama Preserve. This is not a horror movie, please. No, this is a this is a classy, elevated horror movie if it's a horror movie. Yes. <laughs> the drama movie Planet Preserve consists of seven and only seven films. Currently, the films in the preserve are Whiplash with an A-. minus. Okay. JC gave it an A-. minus. Mm, Shameful. Yes. Uh, Lost in Translation is number two with an A-. minus. Okay. Uh, Cast Away, B+. And... I am Sam with a B. Now, the higher the grade we give this movie, the longer it may be staying there. Only a film with a higher grade can kick it down on its butt from the preserve in the future. So we will discuss the movie, and in an hour or so, we will analyze it and grade it and figure out if we need to boot a movie up, but we won't have to because it's got seven movies and we only got four in there. So Silence is making the Pantheon, baby. It's making it in there. It's in there. This week, we are talking 1991's The Silence of the Lambs, a movie made for an estimated, according to Wikipedia, $19 million that brought in $130 million domestically. Wasn't released internationally. Wait, what? Yeah. Initial release was not international. Were things different in 91? Uh, Or is this an anomaly? Maybe they just didn't want to take a shot on a Jonathan Demme film at the time. (laughs) Or this Jonathan Demme film, given that he had come off of, what, two comedies back-to-back? I think he did, yeah. Yeah. But when adjusted, is $279 million by today's standards. Nice. Which, damn. Uh, Written by Ted Talley off of Thomas Harris's novel and directed by Jonathan Demme, the man who brought you such classics as Caged Heat, (laughs) Crazy Mama, and Fighting Mad. (laughs) See... You, you didn't. You didn't mention Philadelphia. You didn't mention Married to the Mob. You don't mention something wild. No, I did not. <laughs> because I don't think. Well, well, something wild came out before this. That was that was yeah. the eighties, right? Yeah. But so, so did Married to the Mob. Philadelphia was ninety four, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, that was his next feature after this. That's right. Yeah, it was. Uh, starring Jodie Foster as Clarice Starling, Anthony Hopkins as Doctor Hannibal Lecter, Scott Glenn. Yes, that guy. You always say. Hey, I know that guy. 
He's Jack Crawford. Uh, Ted Levine as Drain Buffalo Gum. Anthony Held as the creepiest Dr. Frederick <laughs> Chilton. Brooke Smith as Catherine Martin. Diane Baker as U.S. Senator Ruth Martin. Roger Corman as FBI Director Hayden Burke. And Chris Wicked Game Isaac <laughs> as the SWAT commander. How did he show up in this? <laughs> and I love that he gets he gets a line. Yeah, he does. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But now that we've handled that business, let's dig down to the segment called Inception to Perception, where I dig shallowly, shallowly into the internet to find out how this movie came to be. Don't get on the set, get ready to shoot, and then ask for rewrites. Studios do this crap all the time, and they wonder why they end up with a shit movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Movie? You know, I hate the word movie. I don't make movies. I make films. Okay, back in 1986, Manhunter is released in theaters, introducing the world to author Thomas Harris, the man who created Hannibal Lecter. Unfortunately, this movie was a box office failure. The movie was produced by Dino De Laurentiis, who had secured the rights to the name Hannibal Lecter on top of the property itself. So he doubled down on the prop. Yeah, and then delivered what exactly? It's a great great film. Manhunter. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think it's better than Red Dragon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in another part of the world, Thomas Harris is working away at his next novel, The Silence of the Lambs. Orion Pictures hears about this and gets proactive. They get Gene Hackman on the phone and agree to bring this next novel to the big screen. Hackman is set to direct the movie and even star as the role of Jack Crawford. How invested were they? They negotiated to split the $500,000 cost of rights between the studio and Gene Hackman. So clearly he's all in on the project. Yeah, he wants it bad. Yeah. Only one problem. Having secured the rights to the novel, they also need to get our old pal Dino on the phone and try to get the name Hannibal Lecter, who he has the rights to. Right. So De Laurentiis lends the character rights to Orion Pictures for free. Wow. The man who brought us Army of Darkness... how magnanimous of him i thought so november 1987 ted tally is hired to write the adaptation of silence of the lambs and this was a dream come true for tally until halfway through the draft gene hackman steps away from the project oh no and so does the financing oh no He's about to quit before Orion Pictures co-founder Mike Medavoy calls him up and tells him to keep writing, promising him that the studio will take care of the financing and the director. So he keeps going, and Orion Pictures goes for their second choice, Jonathan Demme. The screenplay wasn't even completed, but Demme loved the novel, so he's all in. (laughs) What a weird second choice. It really is. Yeah. To go from (laughs) Gene Hackman to Jonathan Demme, who hadn't done any... Anything like this. He did caged heat. <laughs> fighting mad. <laughs> uh, so now we get to the casting. Orion Pictures suggests Jodie Foster to play Clarice Starling after having just won an Academy Award for The Accused in 1988. However, Jonathan Demme isn't feeling it. He's got a different person in mind. See, he had worked with Michelle Pfeiffer on Married to the Mob, and he wanted her as his first choice. However, she turns it down saying, quote, it was a difficult decision, but I got nervous about the subject matter, end quote. Understandably so. Yeah. Orion Pictures says, hey, 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 there's still Jodie Foster, and Demi's still not feeling it. (laughs) (laughs) So he courts Meg Ryan, who says no because it's too gruesome. And then he goes for Laura Dern, who the studio says no to because she's not bankable. Wow. 
In the end, Demi settles on Jodie Foster. <laughs> oh, so rough. So, so rough to settle for Jodie Foster. You settled for the best actress listed. <laughs> yeah. Settled for the just won an Academy Award, Jodie Foster. Oh, man. Now for Jack Crawford, obviously they can't go for Gene Hackman. Dude bailed because he thought the script was too violent. <laughs> what? Yeah, right. This this coming from Popeye Doyle. Right. <laughs> In 1992, he wins Best Supporting Actor in Unforgiven, though. Not too violent. No. (laughs) (laughs) Scott Glenn is then cast in the role. To prepare for the role, Glenn meets with the guy the character is modeled after, John E. Douglas. Douglas gives Glenn a tour of Quantico, and then, just to prepare him mentally, plays him a cassette tape that has recordings of serial killers Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris raping and torturing a 16-year-old girl. Oh, good Lord. According to Douglas, Glenn was so affected by the recordings, he changed his liberal stance on the death penalty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll do that to you. <laughs> now for the big guy, Hannibal Lecter. Demi knows who he wants. Sean Connery. <laughs> I can see it now. What a different movie this would have yes. been. <laughs> but Connery says no, and eventually a practically unknown and forgotten actor named Anthony Hopkins gets offered the role. Other actors who are considered for the role are Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Dustin Hoffman, and Daniel Day-Lewis, who can act in anything. Yeah, you can do whatever. Yeah. However, Anthony Hopkins lands the role after his performance in The Elephant Man eight years beforehand. It's a great, great film. Yep. Great performance. Mm -hmm. I don't see how you connect the dots from that performance (laughs) to this. I don't get it either. But then again, Demi, you know, he wanted Meg Ryan for Clarice. True. (laughs) Um, after his portrayal, he's no longer searching for work. Yes. So, Josh, do you remember seeing this for the first time? What do you think? So, I I remember just looking forward to this movie so, so much. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that I went with my mom to University Park Mall to the, um, the you know... It's always different going to see a movie in the mall cinema as yeah. opposed to like the standalone cinema. Yeah. And so for Sounds of the Lambs, it's like inextricably linked to the mall for me, <laughs> which is great. And I'm pretty sure that um, I think it was People Magazine did a cover story on it. And I had that that magazine. I was like 11 or 12 years old. Oh, that's impressionable. Yeah. <laughs> just get, Just getting into the world, dipping my toe into the macabre world of serial killers. As you should. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I was in high school. Okay. I saw it on video. I had my own video store card at the time, Ooh. which that was big back then. Yes. Uh, and I had heard about the movie, but I couldn't see it in theaters. So I rented it and watched as Hannibal Lecter ate his way to my top five villains of all time. <laughs> now, before we start going through this film, we should remind audiences that this movie is pre-smartphone. So in order to do this movie right, we're going to have to throw out the conceit that it could be, couldn't be made today because a cell phone would have solved everything in this. Yes. This is officially a period piece. Okay. <laughs> now let's get started. Jack Crawford must be very busy indeed if he is recruiting help from the student body. Busy hunting that new one, Buffalo Bill. What a naughty boy he is. Do you know why he's called Buffalo Bill? Please tell me. The newspapers won't say... Well, it started as a bad joke in Kansas City Homicide. And they said, this one likes to skin his humps. Why do you think he removes their skins, Agent Starling? 
throw me with your acumen. It excites him. Most serial killers keep some sort of trophies from their victims. I didn't. No. No, you ate yours. Okay, promising FBI Academy student Clarice Starling is pulled from her training at the FBI training facility at Quantico, Virginia, by Jack Crawford of the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit, who tasks her with presenting a VICAP questionnaire to the notorious Dr. Hannibal Lecter, a brilliant forensic psychiatrist and incarcerated cannibalistic serial murderer. Uh, Josh, this is an awfully big assignment for a trainee. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Was everyone else busy? Uh, Clarice was the only one available. She, <laughs> But was she? She was running through the woods. <laughs> yeah, and there's literally dudes in his department just hanging around. <laughs> you see, uh, she walks past him, and they all give her the hairy eyeball as she walks past. Oh, we'll get into the <laughs> sexism in this. Okay. <laughs> After learning the assignment relates to the pursuit of vicious serial killer Buffalo Bill, Starling travels to the Baltimore State Hospital for the criminally insane and is led by Dr. Frederick Chilton to Hannibal Lecter, a sophisticated, cultured man restrained behind thick glass panels and windowless stone walls. Okay, I got a few things I want to talk about here. Uh, The psychiatrist, Anthony Held. Mm -hmm. Your thoughts? Dude's a, he's a freak. He's a creep. Dude's a weirdo. <laughs> he's just got a creepy face. He does. He's, is something about his, like, his, does he have veneers or like? I don't know if it's that or if it's just his really thin lips. Yeah. Like that are, his lips don't even go beyond the skin. Right. <laughs> like, you feel like he could gum you. Oh, God. <laughs> oh. Not what I meant, but that's what it was. Uh, yes. That's what it came out like. Uh, what an interesting and yet completely outdated prison. <laughs> I mean, maybe this was the height of prison tech in 91. Basically, Rock a walls. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like something out of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> <laughs> uh, both Crawford and Chilton do a great job of building Lecter's legend up before you even meet this dude, though. Oh, yeah. it's He's totally the boogeyman. Yeah. And uh, I do love... The last thing that's that uh, Jack says to Clarice, which is, you don't want Hannibal Lecter in your head. Yeah. And you're like, well, how good is he? Which <laughs> now you see from, if you watch Hannibal, the show, which is all supposedly backstory to the to the movie we just watched. Yes. Yeah. Which, did you like it? Yes. You did? Yes. See, I liked it until the third season, I think. Okay. Because the third season, I just felt like it was dragging its feet. See, part with the second season, I had that problem just when they're, when everything was different there for a while. Yeah. For a few episodes. And it goes into like them living in wherever they were living, Moldovia or whatever it was. I don't remember, but I do remember there were a couple episodes where I was like, this could have been a half hour. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but... That's a whole other topic. I feel that way yeah. about most episodic entertainment these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Mandalorian could be 10 minutes every single time. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> shots fired. Hot take, hot take. <clears throat> um, okay, damn, there's a lot of sexism in this movie mm-hmm. already. Yes. And I got to stop myself. It's a period piece. This is how we handled the women back in 1991. <laughs> <laughs> That's part that's part of the point of the movie though yes. as well. Yes. Send your emails to me. Yes. <laughs> and my favorite character so far in the movie is Barney the psychiatric nurse. Isn't he he's like coming home. Yes. 
it's he's so nice after Chilton leads her down there and he's got his like little minute where he's where he's a sweet boy. I just I I, I like him because I feel like he's the only one who actually cares about her safety. Yes. <laughs> he put a chair up for her. Yes, what a nice guy. It's lovely. Yeah. Uh although initially pleasant and courteous. Lecter grows impatient with Starling's attempts at dissecting him and viciously rebuffs her. As Starling departs, another patient flings fresh semen onto her face. Sounds like he needed the glass wall. Enraging Lecter, who calls Starling back and offers a riddle containing information about a former patient. Lecter's cell has glass separating from Clarice, but none of the other cells do. No, everyone else is just classic uh, prison, like... But it's a weird combination of a dungeon and a prison. <laughs> right. <laughs> you expect to see somebody chained to the wall? <laughs> yes, exactly. Which maybe Miggs should have been. So he couldn't have been flinging his... Semen. Semen. Spunk. Spud. <laughs> <laughs> Why the heck is Lecter talking in riddles? He's not the Riddler. He's a cannibal. And I think that we all know from being like locked inside now, because we've, we've all had a little bit of solitary confinement at this point, mm. that... You you just start talking like that. That's what happens. <laughs> you, we all go a little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad. <laughs> and my other question is, why is he helping her? Yes. That point, like, he he totally dismisses her until Miggs flings his semen. And then he's all in. Yes. Like, she took that in the face. I'm all in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. That's my kind of lady. Yes. <laughs> Send your emails to me. <laughs> okay, the solved riddle leads to a rent-a-storage lot where the severed head of Benjamin Raspail is found. Starling returns to Lecter, who links Raspail to Buffalo Bill and who offers to help profile Buffalo Bill if he is transferred to a facility far from the venomous careerist Dr. Chilton. I remember being so disgusted by the head in the jar. <laughs> but is this storage unit owned by Lecter or by Raspail? Um, you know what? <laughs> That's not quite. I think it's Raspail. How, okay. I think so. Okay. How did she get a warrant to get it? I don't think she did. I think she went and, <laughs> and talked to that kindly old man who looks like he's a Victorian English gentleman. Yeah, he's in the wrong movie. Yes. <laughs> And he just lets people into storage facilities. Yeah. Doesn't he, ask for ID. He, he tells her about it. He tells her, uh, it's been here for 10 years. <laughs> and, you know, what other information do you want, lady? Yeah. Oh, you have an ID? Oh, great. Who's making the payments on it? Uh, it's paid in advance. Ah, he did, okay. He does say that. Gotcha. Hours and miles away, Buffalo Bill abducts Catherine Martin, the daughter of a United States Senator, Ruth Martin. And the song American Girl becomes synonymous with kidnapping. <laughs> it's been stuck in my head for days now, though. Has it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, that's one of my bottom three in this, is that this movie ruined American, American Girl for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this is, I love this scene because when you watch Buffalo Bill turn... When he's loading the, when he, what you can see what's going to happen when she puts herself in the van, right? And you're, and he, then he goes, or what, what, what kind of, what, what is it? What size are you, or something? Yeah, you're about a size fourteen, something yeah. like that. And then it's just like there's no door on the other side. You're not getting out, right? <laughs> it's hard to watch because you got to think how many people at nighttime have been loading furniture into a van and someone wants to help. Yes, probably two. Too close of an anecdote, but specificity, but. 
But that's one of those things that they took from Ted Bundy. Oh, okay. It's, it's like a specific detail that he would had a fake cast that he would wear, mm-hmm. and he would like act like he was trying to load groceries or something until somebody would come up close to him, and you know he'd strike. What a nice guy. What a lovely, lovely just, gentleman. <laughs> just, a, just a gem of a man. <laughs> <laughs> Starling is pulled from Quantico and accompanies Crawford to West Virginia, where the body of Bill's most recently discovered victim resides, and where Starling helps perform the autopsy and extracts the chrysalis of a death's head hawk moth from the victim's throat. And this is where we get the bug guys, the coolest guys in the movie. I love those guys. They're great. They're, I want more of them. Yes. They should have had a, a spinoff TV show. So... This feels like a precursor to the X-Files in a lot of ways. Oh, I like that. Yes. And they feel like the precursor to the Lone Gunman. Oh, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. You got your weird side dudes who are always interested in, the, like, I swear if you watch them, like some episodes back to back. Yeah. That's them. Yeah. That's them. <laughs> I, I do wish they would have had Starling pull the chrysalis out. While yeah. examining the mouth, they would have played better, I think. Just observing it from like two feet away, not likely. Yeah, she looks at the same picture everyone else looks at. <laughs> right. And, and she's like, I, I see something. Mm. <laughs> but she's like this, she's like two feet away from it. She yeah. can't see shit in that throat. No. <laughs> at Quantico, as news of Catherine Martin's abduction sweeps the country, Crawford authorizes Starling to offer Hannibal Lecter a fake deal promising a prison transfer if he provides information that helps pro- profile Buffalo Bill and rescue Catherine Martin. Instead, Lecter begins a game of quid pro quo with Starling, offering comprehensive clues and insights about Buffalo Bill in exchange for events from Starling's traumatic childhood. <laughs> Unaware to both Starling. <laughs> totally normal turn of events. Yes. Unaware to both Starling and Lecter, Dr. Frederick Chilton tapes the conversation and after revealing Starling's deal as a sham, offers to transfer Lecter in exchange for a deal of his own making. Lecter agrees and following a flight to Tennessee, reveals Buffalo Bill's real name, physical description, and past address to Senator Martin and her entourage of FBI agents and Justice Department officials. Love the suit. Oh, yes. <laughs> Mother. But why did why did Starling go into all the traumatic stuff? She could have talked about anything else. No, it takes like 1.5 questions, and she's <laughs> immediately into her, her, her the most traumatic thing from her childhood. Oversharer. Yes. <laughs> uh, once again, Chilton, living up to his name. Freaking strain. Yeah. Chilton. Uh, and I bet that paperclip will be important later. <laughs> oh, yes. the Whatever that Chilton gets all uh, cocky and leaves behind on the bed. Right, yep. right, right. Um, <laughs> as the manhunt begins, Starling travels to Lecter's special cell in a local Tennessee courthouse. Memphis. Is it Memphis? Yes. Oh. It's supposed to be. Where she confronts him about the false information he gave the senator. Lecter refuses Starling, please, and demands she finish her story surrounding her worst childhood memory. (laughs) (laughs) And of course she does. (laughs) After recounting her arrival at a relative's farm, the horror of discovering their lamb slaughterhouse and her fruitless attempts at rescuing the lambs, Lecter rebuffs her, leaving her with the case file before she is escorted out of the building by security guards. Cute story. But ultimately, what's the point? That's, There's no payoff. He's like a, an emotional vampire. That's my theory. <laughs> Did you uh, have you watched uh, what what we do in the show? Yeah, yes. <laughs> the, the, the emotional vampire is amazing in that. Yes, that's basically what he's doing to her here. <laughs> he's pulling a Colin Robinson. Yeah, but there is no payoff to him knowing any of this information. No, 
it's all it's all about Clarice and her journey. Yeah, which for us the audience. But that's the thing; it doesn't help her journey either in this. No, so. <laughs> she doesn't actually come to any sort of like catharsis because of it. Right. Yeah. You feel like you could rip these pages out of the story, and be like, still works. Yeah, because of what happens next. Uh, yes, after being notified, oh, sorry, later that evening, later escapes from his cell. The local police stormed the floor, discovering one guard barely alive and the other disemboweled and strung up on the bars of Lecter's cage. Paramedics transport the survivor to an ambulance and speed off while a SWAT team searches the building for Lecter. As the team discover a body in the elevator shaft, the survivor in the ambulance peels off his own face, revealing Lecter in disguise, who kills the paramedics and escapes to the airport. Because none of these people can take on a 69-year-old man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling bullshit here. Nobody noticed the face was a little off. Is this the FBI or the Neighborhood Watch? <laughs> and if you see, it looks like his face. <laughs> right. Like, every time they show it, it's like they try to hide it with blood and gore a little bit. But every time you're like, no, 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 that's Tony, man. <laughs> and I do love the fact that this old man put all that on display. Oh, yeah. I'm just wondering how the hell he did it. Oh, he had to have a system of winches and pulleys to get that body up there. <laughs> like, I'm looking, he's at bed sheets and stuff. Like, he had all that in his cell? <laughs> <laughs> he had the time to do it. He had the initiative. Yeah. Uh, and intestines, Ick. Ew, yes. Ick, Ick, uh, uh, after being notified of Lecter's escape, Starling pours over her case file, analyzing Lecter's annotations before realizing that the first victim, Frederica Bimmel, knew Bill in real life before he killed her. Starling travels to the Bimmel's hometown and discovers that Bimmel, what, that's a fun word to say, was a tailor and has dress, dresses with templates identical to the patches of skin removed from Buffalo Bill's victims. Realizing that Buffalo Bill is a tailor fashioning a woman's suit of real skin, Whoa. She telephones Crawford, who is already on the way to make an arrest, having cross-referenced Lecter's notes with John Hopkins Hospital and finding a man <laughs> named James Gum. Oh, <laughs> son of a... Uh, this is where we get his David Lee Roth look. Truth. Uh, do you realize in the, the television adaptation of it, he says... Would you marry me? Yes. Yes, I have. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, he, he's going to wear a woman's suit. But that's going to be tight and really hot. Yes, like Eartha Kitten, Catwoman get up. Leather doesn't breathe. Ooh, and people <laughs> leather, I would imagine, doubly so. <laughs> and you know that's not treated. Uh, oh. <laughs> if this movie is played today, I think they would have to go in a completely different direction. Mm -hmm. Because... Unless there were positive role models for the LGBT plus community in this film, I don't think this would get greenlit today. In the movie, they make the case of stating that he's not actually a transsexual. Well, yeah, they do. They, they state that he thinks he is, but he's not actually. Right. I don't know if that's enough steps away from saying something actually inflammatory. 30 years? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Crawford instructs Starling to continue interviewing Bimmel's friends while he leads to a SWAT team, leads a SWAT team to Gum's business address in Calumet City, Illinois. Starling's interviews lead to the house of Jack Gordon, whom Starling soon realizes actually Gum, and draws her weapon just as Gum disappears into his basement. Star send a trainee. Okay. Starling pursues him, discovering a screaming Catherine Martin in the dry well just before the lights in the basement go out, leaving her in complete darkness. 
Gum walks Starling in the dark with night vision goggles and prepares to shoot her when Starling, hearing the machinations of his revolver, swivels around and shoots Gum dead. And in fantastic slow motion, a choice I never understood. <laughs> That's another thing I never understand is this dude's name is Jack Gordon. Crawford just got off the phone with her telling her Jamie Gum. He lists like three or four names that are all GJ. Yeah. J- or J- JG. JG. And then she meets this guy, Jack Gordon, and it takes her another 10 minutes of being in his house and seeing a moth. Yes. To actually get it. So. Yeah. This is an iconic scene, though. The night vision scene. Yes. Like, this is the scene, I think, that truly makes the movie. Yeah. Because whenever people think about this, they always, whenever you see highlights of this movie, they'll show Lecter saying something, and then they'll show her in the night vision, eyes wide open like a cat. Right. <laughs> Uh, days later at the FBI Academy graduation party, Starling receives a phone call from Hannibal Lecter, now in the Bahamas. As Lecter assures Starling he has no plans to pursue her, he excuses himself from the phone call, remarking that he's having an old friend for dinner. Before hanging up and following Chilton through the streets of the village. Did he just call the FBI? Balls! That room is filled with agents and newly minted agents <laughs> who would love catch him and string him up. And oh, yeah. 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 And, and and that's all, folks. That That's the movie. That's the movie. Yeah. Now, according to the top th- critics at Rotten Tomatoes, it has a tomato meter reading of 89%. It's 25 fresh reviews and three rotten. The critics on average gave this film an 8 out of 10. But let's take a look to see what those critics said about this one from the rotten side and see if they have a point. Okay. So here's the first one. <clears throat> it's a gnarled, brutal, highly manipulative film that at its center, seems morally indefensible. Ooh. This was written in 2013, though. Okay. So can you see the outrage? Uh, I still have a hard time with it, because I think that the movie's got a good heart. <laughs> it's got some heart to it. It's got some heart to it. <laughs> Here's another one. Uh, this is my favorite one. Foster's character, who is appealing, is dwarfed by the monsters she is after. I'd rather see her work on another case. Okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> that person gets no more of my time. That's, that's a ridiculous thing to say. Gene Siskel, you dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Not lying. That was Gene Siskel. Oh, seriously. Dead serious. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What other case is more appealing than this one? <laughs> yeah. Uh, an accomplished, effective, grisly, and exceptionally sick slasher film that I can't, with any conscience, recommend. Okay. This person has never seen a slasher film. Who Who is this? Owen Gleiberman? Who is Jonathan this? Jonathan Rosenbaum of the Chicago Reader from 2007. He's probably dead. He looks old in this picture. <laughs> <laughs> and those are the three. Okay. That's those are the three th- rotten ones. Yeah. See, I can I can find bones to pick with all three of those. Oh, yeah. But that second one. Yeah. I'd rather see her work on another case. <laughs> That's somebody less interesting. Let's let's find <laughs> Why not the guy next to Hannibal Lecter? I want to see what that guy was doing before he went to prison. <laughs> the masturbator? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably something to do with masturbation. Yeah, he's probably a cult leader like for Nexium or something. Uh, <laughs> uh, the critics consensus says director Jonathan Demi Smart taught. I love that word taught. Thriller teeters. Ooh, look at the alliteration. The taught thriller teeters on the edge between psychological study and all out horror and benefits greatly from stellar performances by Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster. I'm all for that except for the all out part. 
Yeah. Not all out Hitler horror. No, it's definitely not. No. There's only like, there's a few moments of horror and a couple like, they give into the tropes a little bit. Yeah. But no, it's not all out. No, no, no. Uh, this scares suburbans. That's about it. Yes. <laughs> uh, the audience score, which is the average rating the audience gave this film, is a 4.45 out of 5, with 95% agreeing it's a 3 or higher. So the movie's over. Were you entertained, Josh? Oh, hell yes. <laughs> I definitely was. What a ride. What a <laughs> ride. But let's figure out whether the awards got it right and whether this movie is worth your time or not. Academy Awards, seven nominations, five wins. That's a big night. It is. Best actor goes to Anthony Hopkins. He beats out De Niro. Hopkins, a no, a nobody. <laughs> beats out De Niro. Beats out Nolte, Nick Nolte. Nolte. <laughs> Robin Williams in Warren, well, Warren Beatty. <laughs> yep, totally fine. Uh, best actress goes to Jodie Foster. Another person Demi didn't want. <laughs> well... But most likely because Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon split the vote. I was going to say, Thelma and Louise. Louise. <laughs> uh, also in that category, Laura Dern. Uh-huh. Who was turned down for the role. In fact, there's a lot of people that were turned down that actually did better things. Yes. Amazingly <laughs> enough. Uh, best director went to Jonathan Demme. Caged Heats, Jonathan Demme. <laughs> beat Barry Levinson, John Singleton, Oliver Stone, and Ridley Scott. Yeah, guys, Ridley Scott did Thelma and Louise, the alien dude. <laughs> uh, it was nominated for best film editing, but that you know they had to give Oliver Stone a, a you know something. Yes. So here's JFK, film editing, which a three and a half hour movie. <laughs> I was gonna say, but the editing in JFK is like mind bending. Yeah. And that those sequences get stuck in your head, the back and to the left, back and to the left. Mm. Yeah. Uh, best picture, it wins. Signs of the Lambs. It beats it beats Beauty and the Beast. Okay, that's kind of big. Yeah. Uh, the other is Bugsy, JFK, and Prince of Tides. Okay, but I don't know. If you were to give a best picture knowing the legacy of Beauty and the Beast now, yes. would you give it to Beauty over Silence? <sighs> See, this is hard because Silence is one of my favorite. I'm tipping my hand. Yeah. But it's one of my personal favorite movies. And Beauty and the Beast, I don't know. I've seen better Disney, I feel like. Yes, yeah. There is better Disney. Yeah. And send your emails to me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, best sound went to T2, Judgment Day, because, you know, it's got guns. Oh, that should have won everything. <laughs> it gets all the awards. All the awards. <laughs> uh, it was nominated for Best Writing Adapted from the Previous Material, and it wins uh, over The Prince of Tides, a book I have on my shelf. Uh, beats JFK, Fried Green Tomatoes, which is a funny story because in high school, uh, we went on a, a, a field trip to Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, you put four boys in a, in a hotel room and you give them, you know, the option to order porn. Yes. And we're going to do it. The problem was we didn't know how to do it. So we're sitting there watching a movie for 20 minutes going, where's the sex? And it was Fried Green Tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> Wish that was a joke. <laughs> I love that it's not. Yeah. Uh, we watched the whole movie. Yeah. yeah, and how was it? I don't remember. Oh, okay. It was just clouded in disappointment. Just disappointed yes. disappointed the whole time? Yeah. Uh, now, at the Golden Globes, we got five nominations and one win. It was Best Director, but that went to Oliver Stone for JFK. It was nominated for Best Motion Picture, but Bugsy won that. What? It's, it's the popular kids' show. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's all the gold. It's the popular kids. <laughs> uh, best performance by an actor in a motion picture. Nick Nolte won over Anthony Hopkins. Well, they had to give him something. Well, Hopkins had, do you know how much screen time he had? Inside? In this movie? Yes. It probably lasted 20 minutes, right? It's like 16 minutes, I think. Yeah. Best performance by an actress in the motion picture. Jody wins again. Beaten Annette Benning. Beaten Gina. Laura. Susan. Missing from that list was Bette Midler from earlier. Yep. She got the Academy Award nod. <laughs> Let's see. Best screenplay went to Thelma and Louise. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about that one. I think Silence of the One. Yes. Uh, Saturn Awards. My favorite ones. <laughs> so best actor goes to Anthony Hopkins. He beats Arnold Schwarzenegger for T2. <laughs> James Caan for Misery, Jeff Bridges for The Fisher King, Kevin Costner for Robin Hood, oh, Prince of Thieves, Robin Williams. Like, Fisher King split the vote, obviously. Yes. But Tony bringing the heat. Um, I'm still I'm still gobsmacked over the Kevin Costner. That's the one? It's not Arnold? <laughs> Dude, you tell me. I, I don't know what a cyborg is supposed to act like. He, he, sets, the, he sets the blueprint for that, yes. you know? But I do know what an English accent sounds like. <laughs> it's not Kevin. It's not Kevin Costner. <laughs> yeah, everyone who remembers Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, with joy in their heart, don't rewatch this. <laughs> Keep it nostalgic in the back of your brain. And if anybody says, "Oh, you should watch," no, don't do it. Don't fall down that rabbit hole. No, you'll only you'll disappoint your earlier self. You're better off watching Robin Hood Men in Tights. Yes. Best Actress goes to Linda Hamilton for Terminator 2. I love it. Over Jodie Foster. I love these awards. <laughs> and didn't Kathy Bates end up winning an Academy Award for Misery? This must have been in between awards series. Oh, okay. I think she did. But other names in there? Winona Ryder for Edward Scissorhands. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. Uh, now, Best Costumes went to The Rocketeer. Okay, that's totally. I'm fine with that one. You are? Yes. I hate the Rocketeer. What? I hate it so much. Joseph. Is there no joy in your heart? There, there is no joy. <laughs> there is no joy. <laughs> but it beat out Edward Scissorhands, which is a little weird. Yeah. But silence, you're not winning this one. Your costumes were regular clothes. Yes. Well, and part of a woman's suit. And part of a woman's suit. <laughs> uh, best director went to James Cameron for T2. Okay. I could go with that. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Jonathan, you know what? Trust me, Philadelphia's coming. <laughs> uh, best horror film. Silence wins over Body Parts, Child's Play 3, Children of the Night, Dolly Dearest, Misery, Night of the Living Dead remake, and Sleeping with the Enemy. Sleeping with the Enemy? That's not a horror film. That's not movie. a horror film. That's a th sexual thriller. <laughs> But what a weak year for horror. No kidding. <laughs> uh, best makeup, Science of the Lambs wins. Uh -huh. Must have been for that face that Tony was wearing. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, but it beats out Predator 2 and Terminator 2. When do these awards happen? Because, well, 1991 was uh, Terminator 2, wasn't it? Or was that 92? I think it had to be 92. Okay, so it was in between the 91, 92. 92, yeah. Range. Yeah. Okay. Uh, best music, <laughs> you say that name. <laughs> Loic Dicker. 
<laughs> Dicker with body parts. <laughs> that wins. Yes. Over Danny Elfman and two Jerry Goldsmiths in a Howard Shore. And this Howard Shore, okay, Silence of the Lambs is my taking a shower music. Okay. All right. Yeah. There's something about it. <laughs> it the, Do you like to feel vulnerable in the shower like Psycho? <laughs> it, well, it starts off because the movie starts off with Clarice running the the uh, obstacle course. Mm-hmm. And so that's the part that I always listen to. And it's almost, it's not quite like a Rambo getting amped up thing, <laughs> but it still puts me in the mindset of someone who's accomplishing something and, you know, <laughs> getting, uh, running away from her fears a little bit. Yeah. But Howard Shore... Whenever I hear this movie, whenever when am I watching it and I hear the music, I can totally see now where Lord of the Rings comes from. Yes. Because it's echoed harshly. <laughs> <laughs> now, like plagiarizing himself, you think? Well, there are some composers who can make different movie soundtracks sound different and not sound like, oh, that's a this person's soundtrack. Right. Um, and there's others where you can just hear their flares. Like for instance, uh, Danny Elfman. Yes. You know, you hear, la, 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 la. there's Danny, there's Danny Elfman. Yeah. yeah. Danny's got himself a, a, you know, a castrato singing, uh, <laughs> <laughs> John Williams. He's got to have brass, no brass, no ass. That's what it is. <laughs> okay. How do you, how do you figure uh, catch me if you can catch me if you can. Oh, what was that? A, was that a, a, uh, oboe? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> and how and then there's Hans Zimmer which is this <laughs> and they go that's brilliant he hit a note <laughs> several times <laughs> well and then he hit a different note for a different movie yes yes yeah there's a more of a blah blah <laughs> a blah blah <laughs> and other times it's more of just a blah <laughs> um best writing goes to Science of the Lambs you know what? I'm not going to lie. I really like the movie Defending Your Life. I, I was going to say, I do too. Yeah. That was a really, really original movie. Yep. And uh, if you ever get a chance to check that out, check it out. It's it's a movie you watch on a Sunday afternoon when you're bored out of your mind and you just go, you know what? I just want something entertaining and you'll be thoroughly entertained. That's when you should watch all Albert Brooks movies, actually. <laughs> yes. It's the perfect time. Yep. Even Finding Nemo. <laughs> <laughs> Dory's a nighttime thing. Okay. And uh, no empty movie awards. It wasn't a thing yet. And no Razzies. All right. No Razzies. All right. On to our next segment titled Top 3, Bottom 3. This is where we talk about the three things we want to highlight in the movie. And then we start to go over the three things that are bad, unforgivable, or downright travesties. Let's start with the top three. And I will start. My number three is the Howard Shore soundtrack. Okay. I love the soundtrack. Um, My number two is the camera work. I think it's fantastic. Uh, the straight shots onto Lecter's face. It makes you feel like you can't escape from his gaze. Mm-hmm. And uh, not going to lie, you could pause the video and walk around the room. His eyes will follow you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And number one, Anthony Hopkins just owns the shit out of this role. Yes. And it was almost so good, I felt like he got away with murder when it comes to other roles. Because you see this, and you see how good he is, and you go... He's going to be typecast as this person every single time now. Yes. And he wasn't. Right. He did all sorts of weird shit. He did what Linda Blair couldn't do. <laughs> Linda Blair played that role so well, she couldn't get a job doing anything else other than jail sex. Yes. <laughs> Josh, what are your top three? Okay. Can I steal the soundtrack? 
You can. Okay. Because the soundtrack, as I said, I listen to it all the time. It's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. I listen to it sometimes uh, as part of my running playlist. Really? Yes. Okay. <laughs> you run very peacefully. Yeah. You got to try to calm it down. Oh, other, see, otherwise that heart rate just spikes like that. You can't have that. See, I'm throwing on like the Marvel playlist. <laughs> like, I want Winter Soldier. Yes. And he's like, yeah, I'm a hero, motherfucker. Like, there's not, like, when Thor's music comes on and I'm running, I'm like, I could do this for five more minutes. Yes. It used to be the Gladiator soundtrack. Oh, yeah, that's a good one, too. That's a good one. Yeah. All right, so what else you got? I got Clarice Starling. Okay. In and of herself, like I think as portrayed by Jodie Foster, but also as a character. Mm-hmm. And I really do think that she like lays the way for Scully later in X-Files. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, Scully was clearly a ripoff of Clarice. Yes. Yeah. In all the best ways. Oh, yeah. 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 And your number one? My number one has to be the rest of the cast. It is the, cast well. Yeah. These two get all the credit, but I think Scott Glenn is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think- you see all the different character actors throughout the piece. They're all that guys. Yeah. Yeah. The only th- person missing was Steve Buscemi. Yes. <laughs> At the time, he totally would have been one of those guys where you go, oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, I remember that guy. <laughs> You're right. This is cast well, accidentally well. Yes. <laughs> Including Chris Isaac. How different would this would have been if it had been Meg Ryan? Oh, my gosh. And uh, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. Like, could you imagine that those two paired up? <laughs> no. Also, Daniel Day-Lewis, like, you know, he's got a certain bearing and a certain, like, Elektra has a certain, it comes along with his age and, like, the fact that he's this this gentleman. Yeah. And Daniel Day-Lewis, like, he's too reedy and, like, yeah, he's almost too on-the-nose creepy looking. He is, but you know what's funny is that I do think that if Day-Lewis had taken this role, if he had been offered and taken this role, that the playful part of Lecter would have been missing. Yes. And it would have been full on scary. Yes. And uh, I don't know if that's, I mean, Lecter's playfulness is what people drew people to him. Yeah. That was it. You know, it was the fact that he could make jokes. Well, I mean, this is the second screen portrayal of Lecter. The first being uh, Cox, right? Yeah, Brian Brian Cox. Cox. Yeah, which you kind of wish he got more in that movie. Yes. (laughs) But I mean, he's not iconic. No. Anthony Hopkins is for a reason. Mm-hmm. And it's because of that that little twinkle in his eye. That tenor in his voice. Yes. Clarice. <laughs> you know. But with every top three, there's a bottom three. And now it's time to vent. So <laughs> here we go. My number three, Lecter's Escape. A bunch of detectives, investigators, and law enforcement, and nobody notices that Lecter is posing as an injured security guard with another face on top. Nope, not buying it. Not ha- no, no. Uh, number two, the song. Ru- this this song. This movie ruined American Girl. Okay. Yeah, I can't hear the song without thinking of Sounds of the Lambs anymore. Uh, when I was in bands playing this song, I just could picture you know, yeah. Catherine just singing in her car. Um, and my number one, it, it, much like in a. Uh, Jerry Maguire, Free Fallen. Yes. Thanks, Tom Cruise. <laughs> now, every time I hear that song, I hear your awful voice. Okay, so number one, Anthony Hopkins' performance as Hannibal Lecter has been destroyed by the number of pop culture references and mockeries over the past 30 years. <laughs> it was legitimately frightening in 1991. Now, he wouldn't be considered very scary. No. 
Thank you, Wayne's Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> you screwed up another one. Josh, what are your bottom three? My bottom three, if I have to have a bottom three for this mm-hmm. movie, that's the thing. You got to dig. Sometimes you got to scrape. I got to scrape real deep. Like, at one point, you just be like, you know what? I hated the tie the guy wore. <laughs> In that one scene, it was a red tie. Did, black slacks didn't make any sense because he had a brown belt. It doesn't match. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to go with the lack of of screen time that you actually get with Chilton. I want, I want more. I want more of this creep. Hello. (laughs) He's so like the way that he's set up is he gets so much bigger. Yeah. You know, like we already talked about, he's a creep. He's a weirdo. He asks Clarice out. Yep. And I don't know. It seems like it should be leading to something. Which it does kind of, but only through his character's actions, through the plot, not through the character itself. Yeah, because he hits on her right away. Yes. In fact, everybody hits on her right away. Yes. (laughs) Which is another point. (laughs) Is that your number two? (laughs) The the fine line between the knowing sexism in the movie and the perhaps accidental issues that it raises in that realm. Yes. Like, it raises a lot of them, but is it actually saying anything about them? No. Yes, that's the problem. <laughs> it's just saying she's a woman. Yes. And this is what happens to women. Yes. We will never resolve this. <laughs> right. And there's some great shots of her surrounded by men. And they're all taller than her. They're all taller than her, which I think technically she'd be too short to be in the FBI anyway. Yeah, she's like 5'1 or 5'2. Yeah. She's a she, tiny little thing. Yeah. But there's, there are some great shots when she gets in the elevator towards the beginning and she's like dwarfed by all these huge guys. And later on, there's a scene where she, um, in the autopsy, where she kind of shoes all of the other police officers out of the room and they do this pan around the room and they're all looking at her, looking down towards the camera. <laughs> and you you really want a moment where she steps up and does something about it. But all you really get is her and Jack Crawford in a car and he says, oh, it's just blowing smoke. Or or she tries to shrug it off by example. Yes. Like when she's doing the autopsy and she throws the, you know, mint on her nose right there and she's the only one not getting sick. Yes. <laughs> True. <laughs> and the number one would have to be, even though I downplayed it earlier, the LGBT issues in the movie. Yeah. It's it's dated. Yeah. And it's too too close to the line. It's, you know, mm-hmm. kind of not cool to say hey, we have one transsexual character in the movie and there's a killer and those two things are inextricably linked. And at the time, it was really the only one ever in mainstream movies. Yes. And you demonized it right away. Yes. <laughs> when was The Crying Game? Oh, it had to be 90, 91, 92, right? Yeah, somewhere. It was in, around there. Yeah. Watch spoilers for The Crying Game. Yeah. If nobody... She has a Twinkie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh, Excellent. We use an A to F scale here for the critics rating. A C is considered average. A is the highest. F is the lowest. If the movie is so bad, it receives S from all the hosts. It goes to a new category of movie, the Movie Planet Global Killer, a category of movie where you can watch it ironically and have an amazing time at how bad it is. Uh, It can join Solo, a Star Wars story there. Wow. Yeah. Uh, So the question is, what do you give the Science of the Lambs in the drama feature film genre by 2020 standards? So I'm going to go first because you nominated the movie. Okay. So you get the last word. All right. Okay. So 
I have to admit, having grown up with this property, it makes it very hard to critique this without letting nostalgia rear its ugly head. Why is nostalgia ugly? Because it's personal and relies on your own personal experiences to enhance the overall meaning and quality to you, the individual. However, if you don't have those experiences and you're watching something that somebody reveres because it was such a big part of their life 20 years ago, you may not get the same impact. This movie is definitely one that when I first saw it, impacted me. Before this movie, the baddest man in the movies was Darth Vader or the Emperor, depending on your age. After this movie, Hannibal Lecter became a household name. The movie was quoted ad nauseum in public arenas, everyone doing their best Lecter or gum. And then, with reverence, came parody. The evil nature of these two serial killers represented in this movie became punchlines in Wayne's Brothers movies and those of the same ilk. It also helped... Dawn and age of not just having characters who were evil just because, but wanted to give them backstory to see these awful creatures to get you to sympathize with them so they'd break your heart as the story progressed. But Hannibal Lecter, Dr. Lecter, doesn't have a forgiving backstory here. He is just evil. It's the last gasp of evil for the sake of being evil that will ever let impact us. Until the follow-up movies, when they, too, start to undercut their great villain. <laughs> <laughs> in 1991, this movie is an A. In its place in film history, this movie is probably an A-. minus. But by 2020 standards, we got a few nitpicks that start to create a mountain. Casting-wise, this was a serendipitous and sublime. But when I think about Hackman as Crawford, for some reason, I like it better. Really? I do. Okay. When I think of Pfeiffer as Starling, I can see an equal performance being given, maybe more emotion. But when I see Lecter, nah, I only see Hopkins. He's iconic, and he made the most of his opportunity. For that reason, I think it brings balance to any other issues casting-wise in this movie, and there, aren't, there are not a whole lot. Plot-wise, it'd be real hard to make this movie today the way it is. For one, we live in a time when the LGBT plus community is finally being given the forum to speak and represent themselves honestly. And if this movie was released today, that voice would be loudly and justifiably, from a certain point of view, unhappy with it. They treat transgenderism as a conduit for evil behavior. They aren't saying it's evil. They're saying it's a conduit. This is a lightning rod issue in 2020. The way Starling is treated in the workplace and in the field is subtle by what studios would want to actually portray in the on the screen today. If you want an example, I feel worse for Nancy on Stranger Things than Clarice in The Silence of the Lambs. The biggest issue, though, isn't with the politics that don't translate after 30 years. It's the fact that this movie is hijacked by a performance. When people think of this movie today, they think of Lecter and Starling. They completely forget about the James Gum story, which is the whole point of the story! <laughs> Now, direction-wise, did Lemmy give you... Did Demi... Lemmy? Steve Lemmy? Did Demi give you the best movie that could have been done? It's hard to say. Is it the best he's done by this point? Yes. Fantastic film. He took a relative unknown in Lecter and simply by camera position and allowing Hopkins to ham it up, whereas many directors might want him to pull back, created a monster that leapt off the pages of Thomas Harris's book. This may have been a case of the right material getting to the right guy at the right time in the right circumstances. After all, he's not really been acknowledged for his direction beyond 1992, Philadelphia. True. <laughs> if a C is an average movie in the drama pantheon, I think this movie is a B plus. Unless this is the first movie that you've seen involving a serial killer, it may feel a little long in places and bore you. So my final grade for The Signs of the Lambs is a B plus. A B plus. A B plus. That's a respectable. That's that's a gentleman's 
grade right there. I felt it was good. Yes. Josh, it's your turn. You got the floor. What are you going to give it? So once again, same as with you, like nostalgia peaks hard with this one for me (laughs) because he said, you know, I saw it when it first came out. I was kind of obsessed with it. I've read the book a couple times. Um, I've seen the follow-up series. I've seen all the different uh, movies. I do think Manhunter is also a really good one. Definitely, you know, probably second best in, if you consider it an actual series. Right. I don't even know how you do that. <laughs> but. Um, I do. I do enjoy watching the movie Hannibal, though. Really? I do. I don't know why. What's what's wrong with you? Who but hurt I didn't you? say I did like I didn't say I like Hannibal Rising. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I totally forgot about Hannibal Rising. <laughs> that Hannibal Rising is a one time watch for me. Yep. <laughs> That's I've yet to revisit it, and I am a glutton for punishment when it comes to revisiting things. Oh, are you? Yes, and I have. Joe, I rewatched all the Friday the Thirteenth movies again. You're sick. I know. I know. There's something real wrong with. I me. can't wait till we release that podcast. Cause that's a fun one. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think um, the the big thing against it would be the LGBT issues. Um, the the direction going for it, the snaky camera, the way that it kind of can follow everybody. It doesn't feel like a flashy film, right. but really when you watch what the camera's doing, it's really, really impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, putting you in all those subjective point of views, it's, it's really, it's something that you don't see every day and you definitely have never seen out of Jonathan Demme. Right. Up to this point. <laughs> you know, I watched Something Wild not too long ago and- it's a good movie, mm-hmm. but it's not this. It's not direction-wise. It's not this. No, <laughs> it's it's Thelma and Louise to Alien. <laughs> yes, yes. So I'm going to go a little higher than you. Oh, with an A minus. An A minus. Yes. All right. Okay. So revisiting the list of movies in the pantheon, Whiplash is an A minus. Lost in Translation is an A minus. Castaway is a B plus with a ten point six six seven. Okay. That's going to lead Science of the Lambs to be number four. Okay. It's be it's in between Castaway and I Am Sam. That's a, it's a big drop between four and five there. Well, maybe we'll get some other people to uh, grade I Am Sam and see if we can bring that down a little lower. Yes. <laughs> I think, I think that... I want to go back in the notes and see what the heck I gave that movie. Uh, but yeah, it's a B plus with a 10.5. Let's get our critic stats off. Do you love this movie? Do you like this movie or none of the above? I love this movie. I love this movie so much. I find myself forgiving things in Red Dragon, Hannibal, and Hannibal Rising. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I can forgive certain things. Mm-hmm. I can because it's Lecter. Yes. How about you? Oh, I totally love this movie. <laughs> Rewatching it again for this. It's, I watched it and then I watched all the extras available on the iTunes oh, store and then uh, started rewatching the movie again. They've got this cool, um, they call it Breaking the Silence and it's not just a film commentary. Like they, it's kind of like a pop-up video combined with film commentary. Okay. If you remember the VH1 series? Yeah, that was a thing back then. Yes, totally. <laughs> and uh, so I started actually rewatching the movie 
again <laughs> within like a day. So yeah, wow. I'm all in on this one. Yeah. It's a movie that I bought for the voodoo. I was like, I got to have it. Yep. Okay. That's all we got time for today, Movie Planeteers. Next show, we'll look at This is Spinal Tap for the Mockumentary Pantheon. You can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Overcast, Podbean, Spotify. Give us a four or five star review. Like us on Facebook and Twitter and follow us on Instagram. The opinions expressed on the Movie Planet podcast are those of the individual hosts. The Movie Planet podcast is not affiliated with, prepared for, approved, or licensed by any entity that created any films discussed or reviewed herein. All movie clips and music included in the podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Thanks for listening, and happy movie watching. <laughs>